This week on the Goshcast. Is De Bruyne a blind cross merchant? Are Manchester United and Tottenham's situations getting urgent? Tammy Abraham is a surgeon. Unai Emery's plan and result were divergent. And in Spain, with Messi and Suarez looking on, Griezmann appeared emergent. Off we pop. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Koshcast on underthekoshblog.com and at under underscore the Kosh on Twitter. My name is Alex. Bernie is here. Hello, hello. Mohanad is here. I am here. And unfortunately, we are missing Roche this week, but we will crack on nonetheless, undeterred, to delve into this week's uh, Premier League and European football action. Um, is there anywhere that you lads would like to start? Let's start with Kevin De Bruyne being a apparent fraud. Uh, this oh, yeah. is uh, Mohanad Fair uh, 2019, for people just to know. <laughs> Should we put some context into this just to say that Mohanad has, at any one time, probably three or four agenda going against agenda. players. Uh, and this year, it seems to be Kevin De Bruyne. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne started last year, first of all, just for the record. Uh, <laughs> It's very clear and obvious as to why it is because he's not a create. Like he he's supposed to be this number ten creative player, but he's not. He doesn't create from midfield and through passes and stuff. It's just too many crosses for me, like blind crosses. He just knows where his teammates are going to be, and he just whips it in. And yes, the whip looks beautiful. I get it, but it's just not name. deliberate enough for me. And that's where the fraudulent uh, bit comes from. Um, I'm. I just have a question. Then, if he's so fraudulent, then why are we praising? You know, I guess they're fullbacks, but still, Robertson and Trent Alexander-Arnold. When all Liverpool do is just cross aimlessly and hope someone crosses the ball, yes, and we praise but, them for it. I don't understand. But these are different standards. I'm not saying De Bruyne can't do this. I'm just saying he can't be heralded, you know, down the avenues and the streets of Manchester as like this unbelievable player. When all he does is he does what a, like a wing back does. I'm sorry, there's just not enough of like, you know, controlling the game in midfield and through passes and little dinks. It's all like these big like hard shots from distance and like crosses from the wings. Like it's just not <laughs> okay. Basically, basically this is just a feeling. Like this has nothing to do with things that actually go on on the pitch. Like <laughs> Kevin De Bruyne is very clearly one of the best creative players in Europe. I mean, even watching Kevin De Bruyne, the way he passes the ball, moves it around, he actually tackles a lot, covers a lot of ground. The guy does a lot of stuff on that pitch. And if you really think about center midfielders in the world, there are not many. There are there's somebody. Yeah, but, he, two, but there are not many better than Kevin De Bruyne for me. He's not a center midfielder. Like He's just never there. Like He's never kind of controlling a tempo of a game. He's never right behind the striker slipping in a through pass. Like, obviously, he is, I'm sure, once or twice. But that's not what he does in general. So I just feel like maybe it's just his role in, in the city side. It's just he's always out wide, crossing the ball in. I just don't feel that kind of creative flair. And I know the stats obviously are there in terms of assists. But I'm just saying it feels, at least it feels like the majority of them are just these whipped in crosses that are not deliberate enough from a creative point of view. Anyways, obviously Kevin De Bruyne is a good player. I just don't think he's as good as it's made out to seem in the last two to three years. I, I, I think what is, has been very clear is uh, I think lately he's been stationed more towards the right and focused more on, on crossing the ball. But I don't think we can blame him for not needing to be in the middle of the park con controlling the game in the way that you're thinking about it because like City don't need him to do that because they've already got control of pretty much every game. They've got 80% of possession. What they need him to do is find space to create chances, and that's what he does. And it, what he does works brilliantly well, so why would he do anything different? Right, right, sure. What I see, I just feel like there could be more. Like, I just, I don't know. Like, there's not a lot going on when I'm watching the Bruyne. Like, maybe it's nice and lethal and efficient, but I just, there's not a lot happening, like, on the screen. You know what I mean? no. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe no, somebody out there understands what I mean but hopefully one person does alright if, if you agree with Mohamed let us know if you don't <laughs> also, also let us know anyway <laughs> where where else do you want to go after the Kevin well, De Bruyne I mean we might as well just talk about City if you want sure why not yeah. what they do they narrowly beat Bournemouth actually I mean they looked 
looked um, they looked vulnerable, I'd say. Is, against is three three one is a narrow result for City, I suppose, relatively. I mean, just watching the game, it felt like Bournemouth had three clear-cut goals at least. Which is funny because the one the, that they did score was absolutely stunning. The free kick from what's his name, Harry Wilson? Unbelievable free kick. I love is, the free kick that goes where the keeper is. I love those, you know, the opposite ones. Is he the kid that came from Liverpool? Yes. Okay. He's the one that was yeah. uh, doing the same thing, but like in the championship last season and the highlights were all over the place and stuff. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. I, I, find, I find it interesting because you're saying that it was a close game if you actually watch it because it didn't look like it on paper. And it kind of harkens to this notion we talk about Eddie Howe and how the guy just doesn't defend. They just attack. And that's why mm. they get beat up by some teams like 5 nothing. I think there was a streak last season where they got beaten by everyone 5 nothing or something like this. <laughs> and we were wondering, why don't you change it up? And some games are you get a goal or two, depending on you know what happens. So I don't know, is that the way, or is that just Eddie Howe one game and one off he'll get beaten up five nil by someone else? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, Bournemouth have lost four of their last seven home games. I, like they're just they're a weird team. They're a weird team. I I don't think that he's been able to fix their defense. They attack fairly well when given space, but. I don't know. I, I can't see their their league position changing much from you know the kind of what like thirteenth to seventeenth kind of zone. Right. Well. Well. Last season, what uh, what went for them was um, King and who was the other strike partner. They were just in form. Yeah. Like if you remember, they were. I can't remember who the strike partner is now. It was King and um, Callum Wilson. Someone else. Yeah, Callum Wilson, King, Fraser. Like they just had the seasons of their lives last season. It just it really helped them a lot. So, you know, if they, they need to have someone step up again like that, that this season because that seems to be what was really going for them last season. I mean, you're right, Bournemouth, like it's, it's almost one of the hardest teams to predict the results in this league. They can they can go on and have an amazing game and in the next game they just fold. It's, and I think, Bernie, you might be right, it might have to do with this kind of, they try and play expansive football as much as possible. Um, so sometimes it will bite you, but sometimes you're going to get an incredible game too. So, you know, you never know. Yeah, and obviously, um, if you look at the, the game itself, Sterling, uh, uh, you know, FPL hero for everyone, scores again. Um, that's becoming predictable. Aguero gets, well, he got two, I think, in this game, right? That's yeah. predictable. And then, you know, Fraudiola's uh, best player, Kevin De Bruyne, gets a fraudulent assist and gets the the 50 the fastest so that's predictable it's city got a fairly predictable result really and i think if you have city players in your fantasy who are not bernardo silva who i had then you're doing pretty well for yourself yeah well, I, 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 go ahead i i just don't i don't want to you know every week we talk about how good raheem sterling is but i just want to go back to his goal for a second because it was absolutely phenomenal. Like David Silva fired that ball in at him on the angle. And it, he was only, what, maybe 10, 11 yards away from him at the time. And to control it on the volley like that, bring it down, and then take the shot early enough that the keeper had no chance. It was, technically, that goal was absolutely brilliant. Uh, I, I was going to bring it back to Alex if you hadn't. I, I really wanted to kind of highlight that goal too, just from a technical point of view, especially that it is Raheem Sterling. because, And I know you... You, you kind of mentioned and focused on that touch. And of course, it was brilliant. But I, I wanted to focus on the finish. I think for me, I can see Sterling doing the touch. It's just in the past, I wouldn't have seen him finish with such an aplomb. Like it was taken quickly. It was decisive. There was no second thought. It was hard. We were whizzed right by the keeper in no time. Like I just thought overall that goal was, it was a high caliber goal, even though it might look simple. And you're right to, to kind of bring it back and point it out because this is the kind of stuff that every week we say is Raheem Sterling now world class. And every week we see it's not just, you know, Aguero now is a bit more tapped, right? We get it. Aguero did his world class stuff and now he's just, you know, he's doing his thing at this age and it's fine. But Sterling is every week we're seeing something different. We're seeing a top corner curler, a header from an impossible angle, a beautiful touch and a finish. He's, he really seems to be able to do it all. You know what I mean? He's not a one trick pony. Yeah. Uh, and I, uh, 
yeah, he's, he's phenomenal. I, not to not to kind of leave him too early, but there are a couple of things uh, from a substitution point of view in this game that I wanted to comment on. One is that um, I can't believe bringing on Dominic Solanke didn't work for Bournemouth. I mean, <laughs> you would have thought that would get them back into the game immediately. And also, I was a bit disappointed by Pep for only giving João Cancelo like a minute at the end. I, I just want to see more of João Cancelo, please. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think I think Liverpool's transfer committee need to be maybe in the future, in the next twenty, thirty years, put in front of like a a war crime committee for like all these sales that they've done <laughs> this season in the last season because it's actually crimes against humanity. The the money that they got people to pay for, you know, Hybe or eBay or whatever you want to say, and Solanke and um, Ings, the Ings, and like it's just you know, yeah, yeah. Absolutely robbed people. It's, it's ridiculous, but work, fair play to them. Cool. What else? Let's move on or anything else about City? Uh, no, that's it for me. Um, why don't we stay on the Sunday fixes just because I've literally got them in front of me. So uh, Spurs producing a really, really bad display. And uh, I, they, Newcastle seem to have this thing where they, they managed to beat Spurs by, by having two shots. And it's happened again. I, I don't know what you're talking about. I loved it. I thought it was a great performance. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought it was particularly uh, an engaging affair. But yes, yes. Um, there, there were some weird things in here. Um, Joe Linton. And I've, I, you know what? I've decided, Alex. Buddy. Uh, in my worldly self, I want to say his name correctly. But the, the banter in me is saying stick with Joe Linton. A, because Alex hates it. And B, because after that talk sport thing, it's all I can hear in my head. <laughs> For anyone that doesn't know, do you want to explain what that was? Uh, I can't remember which uh, talk sport presenter it was. It might have been Alan Brazil or someone. Um, but whoever this ignorant human being was, was, was saying, I'm not sure if it was about Joe Linton specifically, but basically saying, I hate how commentators come on and act all pompous with themselves and pronounce names correctly. Like, ooh, who the hell are you? Well, this is England, so let's pronounce the names the way we expect it to be, to be said here. So, and Alex is having a freak out because Joe Linton, whose, <laughs> whose name I actually can't, Remember how to pronounce like Joan or something? <laughs> There's no Joe. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, pretty, pretty much the, those talk sport guys or whatever are pretty much just saying, had we conquered that country, his <laughs> name would be Joe Linton. So let's just assume we did. But Insane. here's the thing: like, I I genuinely think that they think. That there's like Joe Linton, there's like Terry Linton, and all the other little Lintons, <laughs> like Mrs. Linton's at home waiting for Joe to get home. Like, no. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. Um, but, um, but he did score a really good goal. I thought uh, his uh, hold up play in this game was fantastic. Uh, it was, a, for me, it was a, a classic striker's performance. Um, a bit like Rondon. Like I don't. I'm not sure what the difference between those two guys are, and I and I don't even know where Rondon is right now. About um, thirty million pounds. Oh yeah. Okay, that's a big difference. Uh, but what what happened to Rondon? Where did he go? I'm I'm confused. He's he in went China with Rafa Benitez. Oh, for real? Okay. Okay. Um, but yeah, the Joe Linton's goal was fantastic. But great work by Christian Atsu. Um, but the positioning of the Vincent Sanchez was weird. Like it was bizarre. Yeah, it was like just seeing the replay from that the angle behind the goal, and you're looking at it, you're thinking Rose has to come all the way across to try and block uh, Joe Linton's shot. Um, you know, but Joe's first touch was fantastic, and he kind of just, <laughs> <laughs> he just slotted in with his left foot. Um, I thought it was a great goal, but the Vincent Sanchez, I don't know what he was doing. Um, it was a bit weird. I think we need to start calling him David. Um, I actually thought the positioning of the whole back four was bizarre. It was as if uh, they were kind of locked on the wrong cell. Mm. Like if they were in Excel, like they were just locked on the wrong one. Like Alderweireld was too far to the right, Sanchez too far to the right, and Rose was like two cells to the left. Like it was just, it was all over the place. It was bizarre. If you look at the goals Tottenham have conceded this season and it's only been three games, like something like 70% of them have rolls with a last hit sliding tackle. Mm. Like it, he always seems to be that last guy trying to 
say something and he's, you know, he's way past it and, and I don't think his head's in the game and all that, but um, I'm, I actually just came on right now as we we're talking about, I mean, yeah, that is just so bad from the center back. There's like Newcastle is barely attacking and they're playing with one center forward. Why he's splitting your set? I don't know. Yeah, that's, that's not, that's unacceptable. It, it, it was very bad. And there, there's a broader point here, which is people have started to pick up on the fact that the Pochettino hasn't, won many games recently like beyond the Champions League kind of papered over Spurs' league form I guess um, but it really does look and obviously I've been a record as a massive fan of him and I still am but it really does look like he's sort of lost the plot lately like he started saying weird stuff in the media he started giving them a lot more to speculate about than he used to not just about his future but by, by his players futures and the state of the the kind of harmony and stuff Something seems quite off with him, as it does with his team selections and the team themselves. Something seems a bit off here, no? Like someone did a detailed thread of all this, and it actually made for very bleak reading. I mean, if you really get into it, prop, they were not the better team against in the Champions League. They were uh, Fernando Llorente hip or handball. I don't know which. And uh, and a dodgy, well, I don't know if it was dodgy, but a VAR call away from having a shambolic season, really. Um, so, yeah, absolutely right. Champions League form paper over the cracks. I thought that they won the transfer window, but I'm not really sure. Cesarion hasn't played yet, I don't believe. Lo Celso being bedded in and Nambele, I, I don't know he if missed he's missed the game or not. He, he so th- we're not really seeing the fruits of this of this window yet, and I don't know. We'll we'll, we'll see what happens. It's it's not a good start, and it's not a good year so far in, in that sense. Well, so we all know. Go ahead. No, go ahead, man. I was gonna say they also have. Uh, um, um, like my my issue with I mean they have the Ericsson issue too. He doesn't start games, and I saw the principal because he doesn't want to sign a new contract. But then Pochettino has no choice but to keep bringing him on at halftime because they're behind and they're not creating enough. So they have that kind of cloud hovering over the club too. But overall, I still think Tottenham just don't have the depth. Like they just the starting eleven is good, but once you start to pluck away a little bit, an injury here, an injury there. Like you look, and Dombele was injured this game. They didn't look as solid in midfield, and I just feel like across a long season, I again, similar to a little bit like United and now Chelsea just because of the ban, I just think these three teams are slightly lacking when it comes to depth, especially that they're all in, what, four competitions each. I I see Spurs struggling this season, especially if Harry Kane doesn't hit top form like he does. And Lucas is someone that they, and Lamella, people that they want to rely on. Like, I, I don't know if that's, if that's a reliable option for them. So, um, I, again, if they overachieve like they have been, then they'll be fine. But again, I always feel it's overachieving. I don't think they're playing at their level on paper. I think their level on paper is, again, maybe down to Pochettino, is less than the achievements they've been having over the past few seasons. But now if he does lose kind of the desire, then that is very dangerous for them. Uh, yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's very, very fair. They, they really have to be careful um, because we've seen that they can get sucked into uh, uh, will they, won't they qualify for the top four, even though they have but some people consider one of the best managers in the world, so they, they need to be very careful. I agree. There's also so, something. There's also something that's going on uh, that reminds me of like, um, I guess mid to late 2000s Arsenal, like 2008, nine, ten, kind of Arsenal, where brand new stadium, the team is very good, dominates most home games, but everyone that goes there now sets up to sit there and just defend. And the team really struggles to break them down. And often, Mohamed, you'll remember these games where Arsenal would have so much possession, so much of the ball, or moving it back and forth side to side, and then get hit on the break once. And that was it. And it's happening a lot to Spurs now. I think it has something to do with like expectations. They score a lot of goals on the break, and they don't really get that opportunity now because everyone just sits there waiting for them. And I don't think they've really worked out how to deal with that very well. So my question is, where is Dele Alli? Is he still in? For this he's ball? injured, yeah. He's injured. It's been, uh, it's apparently been he'll be hot. back for the derby, though. Oh, yeah. Next next week is a, is a big uh, North London derby. That's going to be exciting. Uh, next question for you guys. VAR call on Harry Kane, or no call, I guess, on Harry Kane's um, fall, let's call it, before we, we assess it. Um, what do you guys think? I think that uh, Harry Kane 
I thought it was a penalty because I don't, obviously it wasn't intentional. I can't remember the defender's name, but he fell over and he mm-hmm. fell over and Harry Kane fell over him. I mean, if there's an obstacle in your way and you're not expecting the obstacle to be in your way, you're going to fall over. So if that is a penalty by the definition, if that's a foul by the definition, then that's a penalty. I'm, I'm very confused by how VAR didn't pick that up. And also, let me ask, did Harry Kane get a yellow card for this? No. So if that is VAR, and this is where VAR confuses me, technology is not bad. The people behind it, if that's not a penalty, then it's a dive and has to be a yellow. So here's the thing. There, there is another angle that has come into this VAR thing in the Premier League, which is just making it even more complicated and more annoying to talk about. So I kind of feel bad even about you know talking about it. But essentially, VAR are only going to change a referee's call if they feel that it's very clear and obvious, uh, those are the words that they're using, that the referee made the wrong call. Like not if it's marginal. That's not their, their remit. They only get to do it if it's massively wrong. So they looked at it, and it doesn't necessarily mean that they didn't think it was a penalty. It means that they didn't think it was obviously a wrong decision enough that they were going to overturn the referee's decision. Now, frankly, I don't understand how the referee missed it, and I don't understand how they decided this wasn't a big enough mistake to correct it because, look, Kane's running through on goal with the ball. He's going to shoot. He's probably going to score, and... Obviously, it's unintentional, but the cells falls right in his path and stops a clear goal-scoring opportunity. If you've if you've managed to work the rules or your process into a, into a situation in which that's not a penalty, you've just got it wrong somewhere. Okay, so my my thoughts looking at this is that Bernie said something interesting at the beginning when he was describing this. He said that the cells fell into Harry Kane's path, and then Harry Kane tripped over Lascelles, therefore it's a penalty, right? So my issue with that, again, I'm just, I guess it's clear by now, I don't think it's a penalty. My issue with that is that when Lascelles falls, he falls to the right, the ball is rolling to the right, and Kane, Lascelles is not between Kane and the ball. Yes, he, he is. is not. He, he is. His he, arm he goes right not. out across Kane. The only way Lascelles becomes across Kane is because Kane goes to his left for apparently no reason because he can see him falling. Like Kane, look, Kane has a history of doing this. He does this very well. He would rather go for the penalty than for the ball. And in this case, I think he did that. I just think he decided, okay, Lascelles is falling. This is obviously going to be a penalty, very clear. I'm just going to move to the left and fall across him. But I believe, just looking at the shots and all the replays, that Kane could have just kept going towards the ball. But he just decided... He has, not- a, he has a seven-foot man in his way. What do you I, mean? I just don't think he was in his way. I think if Kane... Okay, let's put it this way. If this was in the center of the park and Kane is on a counterattack, Kane gets to that ball and keeps going. He wants to fall because he's in the box. He does not. This is not like Kane is trying there and he has no option but to, but to be fouled. If this was in the center of the park and this was a counterattack, Kane would have gotten to the ball and kept running towards goal, 100%. I'm just saying it could be a penalty still, but Kane definitely went to his left to intentionally fall and create the drama, which I don't I, think. Uh, let, me, let me just jump in here real quick because I'm, I'm watching this now just as we're talking. This Now, doing this on Zoom allows us to do stuff like this. Harry Kane makes no movement to the other side. Harry Kane runs in a straight line, and uh, Jamal Lascelles, I'm watching him, his hand goes across Kane firstly, then he falls. Harry Kane does not actually move direction in any way, shape, or form. And the John, not Joe, I keep saying Joe Linton. And Jamal Lascelles' <laughs> body comes across Harry Kane. Harry Kane makes no movement in the other direction, Rondon. So this I is know, a I penalty. See. I'm watching uh, it right now. This is a penalty if I've ever seen it. I know yeah. what Alex was, was saying about the, you know, the refs will only um, overturn it if it's a very obvious decision. I just feel, if you guys feel this strongly about it, like I just feel VAR would have given it. I know it's like the refs have, to, have made a huge decision, but if you miss a penalty, chances are they will give it. And I just feel that if it was that obvious, they would have given it. I just think there was an element there that they thought, they also felt slightly that, you know what, this is slightly exaggerated. Uh, you know what? I think um, since we're on this subject, because there were quite a few VAR calls, um, we can use that to talk about Man United Palace. Um, not because it affected the result of the game, but because it's a VAR call that people are talking about. 
Um, the first, there are two. <clears throat> so the first one is Anthony Martial running uh, in on goal and being brought down by Gary Cahill. I thought that's a red card because it's the last man. He was clearly the last man. I didn't see how VAR didn't overturn the referee's decision. Although, um, similar to what Alex said, VAR will not overturn a decision that's when a yellow card is given. So if you deserve a red card, you've been given a yellow, VAR in the Premier League will not overturn it and give you a red. Strange to me, but okay. And the second one was, uh, the second half, Martial was being pulled back. I don't know if it was Cahill or not, in the box. He got a shot off, but he was pulled back, had a shirt in his hands, similar to Luis and um, Salah, and no penalty. And I thought, okay, I don't, I don't understand this either. So VAR seems to be holding back on overturning decisions, as I said, unless it's blatant, blatant, blatant. But these are things that everyone else is saying. I don't understand why you didn't do that. Well, it's, well, well, I'm not sure what the purpose is now. Professional referees should not be missing blatant, blatant, blatant. So then what's the point of VAR? You know what I mean? Like, if you're overturning blatant, 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 then that referee has an issue. Like, it shouldn't be blatant, blatant. If it's going to be in there, then it should be things like that. Like, there was also the James one. James, when he fell and he got a yellow card for diving, um, I think it was his game, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, it was this game. There, there was no. I, again, it's very hard. It's very weird for me to say James because I always want to say Hamas. <laughs> <laughs> so you pronounce really it how you're supposed to pronounce it in your country, all right? James, <laughs> <laughs> James. Uh, but yeah, anyways, uh, this whole VAR thing, like, uh, there's no way it won't be a part of the season, and it will be, and it is a bit annoying. I don't like it. I almost prefer when it doesn't overturn results because then it's like it's not there. You know what I mean? But then when you think, well, it's there, why didn't it turn it? That's when it gets annoying. So it's, anyways, let's, let's just talk about the game because I'm tired of this VAR stuff. I don't know because I like it. It's, I, I can see it becoming such a talking talk. Like the whole point was like, people were like, oh, it's going to, you know, VAR is going to take away all the controversy from the game. It's not. It's, if anything, it's adding more controversy. I agree. Yeah. All right, so that, that you're right. That is that is more than enough about that. So, um, Bernie, you mentioned that it's the North London derby next weekend. Wait, wait, is, wait. We're talking about United Palace. We'll get there. We'll get there. I, what oh, I was oh, going to okay. say is that the North London derby is an excellent link to talk about Arsenal, who lost three one to yeah. Liverpool. There have been a lot of different reactions to to this three one. Is about what you would expect from a Liverpool-Arsenal game at the moment, no? So just to give you an insight on the kind of what the Arsenal fans are going through, it's very split down the middle, which is interesting. Um, some thought we went there with a game plan and the game plan would have worked slash did work if, let's say, Pepe or Aubameyang scored one of each of their quite clear-cut chances. Um, the other half felt that we went there way too defensive. And this was always coming. I believe that no matter what game plan you pick, Camp A, Camp B, you play Lacazette from the start. Either way, Liverpool are going to win this game. The golfing class is just what it is. These are the European champions. This is a team that got 97 points last season in the league. I don't care the fact that they didn't win the league. They win, what, 15 of the last 16, right? And the other one only being City as well with 100 points or whatever. So they are by far the best team in Europe. And it's not close at this point. When they are clicking, they are clicking. Um, so I just don't care about what we should have played, you know, plan A or plan B, because either one of them we would have lost. I am in the camp that I enjoy seeing Emery come with a plan because people who say, oh my God, it was so boring and defensive and we didn't play like a Zet. Well, you've seen that under Austin Wenger for the last five years. And what happens? You go there and you get battered 6-0 and you argue about that and you complain. You go, oh my God, he has no plan. And he plays the same thing. So now that we have a plan, just because you lost with that plan doesn't mean that you know you should throw that out the window. I thought it was a great idea to go over there, put your two fastest players up top, and try and hit him on the counter. You know, Pepe destroyed Robertson on that counter, and should he had he finished that and had Aubameyang finished his open net when Adrian made another mistake, you know, Arsenal could have scored two goals in the first half, and it would have been a completely different story. And you can't hold the manager. Um, you know, to bad finishing of his players on the day. He put them in the positions to score the goals. And, you know, Pep Guardiola always said this, my role is to get you in front of goal to that to that point. After that, it's on you and your, you know, your talent. So I I wasn't too upset about the result because I'm just realistic about the opponent we were playing. It's away from home. I thought we did okay. 
Uh, let me let me jump in just to support your point because as a, as a neutral who can see things from an unAlex biased lens, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, pre- I'm preempting what Alex was going to say. I thought this made sense. I agree with you, Mo. I thought having Pepe and Aubameyang made a lot of sense. You could have gone with um, a Lacazette lone man to hold up the ball and stuff, but I don't think that's going to work against Van Dyke. So what they did was have the pace and kind of spread the play and then, then come in narrow um, to attack. And I thought Pepe skinned, um, like you said, Robertson. And I think he did dribble past Van Dyke, and everyone got excited about that. Although there was the one time where he refused to do it because he says <laughs> maybe once was too good. Yeah. Second time, this isn't, isn't going to work out. <laughs> Fine. Yeah. But he had two chances, or I don't know if one was, was they called it offside or not, but there were two that I thought, well, Pepe, you need to score those. And Liverpool have been on the ropes. But that didn't happen. Liverpool score a goal from a cross. And by the way, or was a corner. This is getting irritating. I was, I was actually just live uh, tweeting their crosses. And Liverpool, at one point, within five minutes, put in 10 crosses. What is that? <laughs> one of them even went, uh, Alex Trent crossed the ball. It missed everyone. Went to Robertson, who then immediately crossed it back. And I thought, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> like I, am, I admire everything about Liverpool in the way that they play, but if this was some other team, we would talk about this being some Neanderthal football right now. I w- that didn't necessarily impress me in that. But then again, you lost the game because A, they're a better team, and two, David Luiz is just like, we knew he was going to do this. We knew he was going to do this. We just ho- You hoped it wouldn't be in this, this game. And you're going to get more of this. He's brilliant. In fact, there was one crossfield pass for Pepe that was just sensational. I don't think anyone's talking about it, and I will. But he gives you the calamities, and I'm not sure over the course of the season that's the thing. No, that, uh, I mean, fair enough. You, you, you feel the way that you feel about David Luiz, and uh, this game did not did not help matters <laughs> in that respect. <laughs> but... Um, well, I would say, well, okay, let me address the crossing thing first because we know that, that Robertson and Trent crossed the ball a lot. We know that they got how many assists between them last year? Like, yeah, Mohamed, we had uh, a plan. Emery had a plan. His plan was to let Liverpool's two chief assist makers cross the ball all game by playing a narrow diamond um, and leaving space out wide for them to do that. Now, I agree with you that you're kind of damned if you do and damned if you don't with Liverpool, there isn't a perfect tactic against Liverpool other than like be better than them, which sometimes works for Man City and sometimes doesn't. Um, that said, we have seen Unai Emery's plans for for games over the last season and now a bit. And they don't tend to be very good on the whole. The, the the manager that he seems to work best against is Pochettino. He seems to have Pochettino's number. Other than that, in the big games, he, he always has a plan. He switches it every, every game. He changes formation. He changes the system every game. And I'm just, I'm a bit jaded by it. It's not that this particular plan was absolutely horrendous. It's just that on the whole, Emery changes stuff too much. And it doesn't tend to work. And I just don't have faith that in the long run, he's going to land on the right solution. Right, right. No, I, I understand what you're saying. And, and again, when I say I felt we had a plan and whatever, like I'm, I'm not saying it was 100%. There's a few things I didn't like. Like I didn't like that the substitutions didn't come early enough in the second half when we were 1-0 down. I don't like the fact that um, Guendouzi and Willock were being pulled apart in the diamond to go out to Robertson and Alexander Trent. Um, I didn't like that either. I, you know, I like the Pepe Aubameyang bit. I just felt the midfield maybe could have been a bit better. Um, I know Torreira is still coming back from injury, but I, I felt we needed a bit more dynamism than Shaka in the middle. I think um, this might have been a good game for wing back, um, maybe because with a wing back, when you play five at the back, you can still play two up front. You know, you can still play five three two. You still have your three in the middle, then you have your five, and at least you can nullify the wing back. So I didn't think it was perfect, of course. And, and I get your point about Emery. I would love him to play the same thing all the time for players to kind of get used to it. Um, it's just one of those where this is what Arsene Wenger would have done. And I would have complained. I, it seems like I'm going to complain either way. You know what I mean? Like Arsene Wenger would have also just showed up and played Ozil number 10. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like three other number 10s. Exactly. Exactly. And so 
at the end of the day, I just feel this is a game you take the L and you move on. I, I just want to add, I think that's fair. I think you, you were not expected to win the game. Uh, it, there, there was hope that, you know, with your signings and everything, that you could do something. And it would probably, I think the excitement was that this would show you how far that you've come, right? That if, if the signings are good and all that stuff, then we should be able to um, do something against Liverpool. I think that was the Arsenal fan logic. Um, but maybe 3-1 as opposed to 5-1 is a good sign of progress. I don't know. But, and, and players not being wasted on the floor by Firmino. Although Danny Ceballos almost, almost got the Firmino treatment. Um, but, you know, it's, it, I guess there are some positives to take from this. You'll, you'll have to wait and see over the course of the season how many positives. There's just not much you can say. You lost in Liverpool 3-1. That's a big deal. Move on. Alex, Alex I'm going to let you chime in here. But very quickly, I want to also remind that we played against, well, Liverpool's most dangerous weapons are their fullbacks which means we need you know, a left-back and a right-back that can deal with it. And both of them are not your starting um, 11 left-back or right-back. It's not Bellerin or Tierney. So also keep that in mind. We're playing them with a, with, with a back four that has two players that are not going to be starting once people are fit. You also have David Luiz that potentially could not be in the starting 11 once Holden comes back. So you know, I'd say there's two or three players in there that you know, if everybody's fit, they're not in your strongest back four. Sorry, sorry, not to let's let's harp on that a little bit. David Luiz may or may not. Start. I mean, I hate that guy, but I wouldn't go that far to say the holding, holding start over David if, Luiz. If holding, if holding plays, you know, continues on from where he left off last season, he would definitely play over David Luiz. Oh, that's a tough one. Holding had six or seven good games and then got injured. Like that's like as bad as David Luiz is. I would not. I, I don't get into this Man United thing of getting excited by a young player that has five or six good games and hoping that he can sur- surmount some established football. Thing. I will. I will say that Holding was was magnificent before he got injured last season. That said, if he's going to replace either of them, I think it's more likely Socrates because uh, I think Luiz's ability on the ball is something that we don't have in any other centre back really, and that's that's probably what's going to keep him in the team. Um, also, I don't think he moved here to sit on the bench. I just don't think that's going to happen. But, yeah, we'll see. I, I also, before we want to move on, we barely talked about Liverpool. And, uh, Mahadadu, I'll let you talk about Mohamed Salah, but his goal that wasn't a penalty was phenomenal. David Luiz, uh, being silly aside, the run, the control, the way he cut across Monreal and the finish, which we've seen a hundred times, but is no less impressive. It's just his consistency is unreal. The look, look, Mohamed Salah's stats with Liverpool. Again, I again agree or disagree. I feel he's still underrated. Like actually, across the world, with how people view him, like the stuff, the stats he's putting up in the Premier League over the last two and a few weeks season has been have been phenomenal. He's tearing this league apart. His stats are better than everybody that's come before him in terms of you know, goals to games at the start of your career in the Premier League, et cetera, et cetera. He's literally taking this league by storm. And he did the same again yesterday where that goal was phenomenal. Like, he got the ball near the halfway line. The first touch was sublime. Brought in David Luiz. And then, bam, he was just gone. The finish, like, I, I looked at that goal and I was telling my brother, we were watching it together. I'm like, you know a good finish when the keeper being there or not is inconsequential. Like, Leno had zero chance of that. Absolutely zero. And that's how good Salah's finishing has been. And it's just, it, it's a really good goal. But also, David Luiz, when you look at it, the difference between him and someone like Van Dijk is how you deal, is, is how smart you are in the position you put yourself into. And I know this whole Pepe dribble past Van Dijk, he didn't. He just pushed the ball past him to the, towards the outside. Like, you know what I mean? So We're taking it, okay? We're taking yeah. it. <laughs> so you see how like I was watching this game and I was actually watching how Van Dyke dealt with someone who was supposedly faster than him and he just kept him in front of him. I'm not gonna come and stand right next to you so you can turn me. I'm always at a you know, an arm's length away. I, so that way I have that have a second to react after you do. And he did it all the time and he controlled him perfectly. But then you look at David Luiz who's stepping up to the fastest player in the league at the halfway line on a yellow already. And then that's what happens. That's the result. So it's these little differences, these little moments that make or break games. And Luis just should have understood, you know, keep it in front of you, wait for reinforcements, do something. You know, I, I don't know. I just felt 
that that's the difference there between the two teams. Thank you, Mohanis, for making such a wonderful point, you know, about defenders having brains and other ones not having brains. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I will um, retract the previous statement I made. Um, last you. season, Sadio Mane was absolutely amazing, and Salah had a slow start to the season. These are facts. But Salah tore it up towards the end, and this game sort of en- encapsulates that this is Salah's team until he has a bad streak of form, but it's still his team. <laughs> um, but Salah is the best player in this team. He is the best player in the league, as far as I'm concerned. Um, of course, Van Dijk was the best player last season, but if we're talking about attacking talent, all the good things that we want to watch, then, you know, if you say anyone else but Salah, you're just being silly. Um, well, unless you're saying money like me, and then you're not being silly, but anyway. Uh, so, you know, he tore, he tore Arsenal apart. Uh, wonderful performance. Um, there's not there's not much else I can say about that, but retract my uh, initial statement. It's very big of you, man. I, I actually do things like this. Uh, our Egyptian friend over here has never retracted a statement <laughs> in his life. <laughs> Bro, listen, listen. I am consistent. When I start an agenda, I finish it. So no, you I'm see it to the grave. <laughs> I, I am. I am extremely disappointed in you, Bernie, and this has really, really changed what I think about you. <laughs> well, I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> if, I say, if I say Joe Linton one more time, will you forgive me? <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes. Joel. Call him Joel from now on. <laughs> Even that would be an improvement. <laughs> um, Alex, anything to add on this game? I mean, other than, you know, what we said already, anything? Uh, no, that's it. Um, other than a quick stat, which is that Jurgen Klopp has uh, never lost to Arsenal as a Premier League manager. So uh, someone at some point has to do something about that, but not yet, I guess. Also, keep in mind that potentially witnessing the strongest Liverpool side ever when you take into account the competition. You know what I mean? Like, I, I get others have been more dominant, but in, in, in weaker uh, environments. You, you see what I'm saying? Like, this is a brilliant, brilliant team. And it's scary to think that they didn't add an outfield player in the transfer market because that's how good they are. They didn't need a player. What I kind of like about them too is that you can shuffle the, the midfield three and it makes pretty much no difference. Like it doesn't matter if it's Henderson, Ronaldo, Milner, or Milner, Ox, Fabinho, or Keita, Fabinho. <laughs> and it, like, it just doesn't make any difference. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, Liverpool fans who watch the minutiae will, will know exactly how it changes things, but it doesn't seem to affect the results or the way that the team plays. Alex, well, Alex, don't give them any credit. They don't because the, they don't make any difference because it's Robertson and Trent Alexander-Arnold talking <laughs> show. Come on! Look, look, I, was, I was trying to make myself feel better when I was watching this with my brother, and I was saying Liverpool have a world-class keeper, one of the best in the world. They have Adrian. three, they have three, you know, no, sorry. You know what I mean? Allison. <laughs> they have uh, three of the best four players in a back four in the world. You know, when you forget about Van Dijk's partner, mm-hmm. Matip's obviously not bad, but you know, Robertson, Alexander Trent and Van Dijk are three of the best in their position in the world. Then in the front three, you have three of the best in their position in the world. And then all you need are three midfielders that just don't stop running. And they literally could be anybody, and it doesn't affect anything because, you know, at the back, you're so solid, and the front, you're so potent. You just need people competent enough, you know, 75% players that are just going to contribute effectively and solid enough, and that's it. So it doesn't really matter who those three play. You know, sometimes they play Ox in there, and they still win the game like 3-0. It doesn't matter. (laughs) (laughs) All you need is to be taken over by new owners and appoint one of the best managers in the world. That's it. So let's, let's talk about a team that needs to be taken over and only going to point to the best manager in the world. Uh, my lot. And I was going to use a segue of when you're talking about competence to talk about incompetence. But right. I, I'll take any segue I can get at this point. I do. Two <laughs> <laughs> one loss. Uh, this game was funny. Like, it was... I actually started laughing at the end. I pure sadness <laughs> laugh. But it was funny because... The way United lost this game was actually comedy. Every single point of it was comedy. Yep. Yep. Uh, they, Crystal Palace, so I'll start with the lineup. Lineup was comedy to me, firstly. Uh, Man United want to play quick up against the you know, wing play and press high, counterattack you high and score. That is a good philosophy to have. Sure, fine. 
But Crystal Palace are the one team where you say to yourself, I don't need to press high and counter you. You will not do anything to me. (laughs) You had to have a Juan Massa or someone else like to play through balls, take people into feet, something like this. But he scored a goal great, but Daniel James and Rashford just running aimlessly isn't what you do against <laughs> Crystal Palace. I, I don't, I, it, I was totally confused. <laughs> basically, I mean, basically, Crystal Palace arrived with like 13 defending players. I, I'm sure they snuck a few on there. And United's plan was to counter attack two banks of four. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Like, I love it. Like, you need, to, you need to understand United had 72% of this ball, and most of it was uh, McTominay passing to Pogba, passing to Lindelof, pa- passing to Maguire, and then because they realized. There is no space, and these guys are so wide and trying to like the attackers were like, "Hello, we're trying to run here," and the players were like, "What are you doing? <laughs> you can't do this." It was so funny. Oh, the game was oh my like God. you say. There was a lot of comedy moments, man. The missed penalty again. He just as he stepped up, I'm like, "Please, please, just for the narrative, you know." I don't even care if he scores or misses. I just want the narrative. I want the drama. It was unbelievable that he missed. For the record, if you watch Rashford's penalties, he hits at the same side every single time. So for me, I felt the keeper was either going to save it because he's going to go, well, you're going that way again. (laughs) Or he was going to hit it wide and he hit the post. And I just don't understand. Like, Roche sent me a message and he said, actually, all in all, he's encouraged by the fact that he had a dominating the ball. And I was like, Roche saying this? Like, that was weird to me. But... Mm -hmm. Yes, 72% of the ball, 22 shots, more passes, after all that good stuff that people like and all that, whatever. But you need the tactics to be right to add to that. You can't have 72% of the ball and say you want to play counterattacking. You, you, forgot, you forgot a very important stat. Like, uh, what about the one Bissaka tackle numbers? Because that seems to be a very important stat nowadays. See, one Bissaka's tackle numbers are great, except you won't have to tackle anyone from Crystal Palace. So I don't. <laughs> no. You could. He could stand there and not have to make a single tackle. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah. I mean, I know you know Jeff Schlupp occasionally gets a, a golden assist, but generally you could just let him run the ball out play, and, and you'll be fine. Um, I, I do, Bernie. I understand your point about the tactics. Something that I want to ask you about, though, is that what the hell is the alternative? You said that you need one matter or someone on the pitch. And really, Juan Mata is it, man. Like, I'm looking at your bench. There's no creativity there. Who, who are you bringing on to, to pick the lock here? Matic? Like, what, what's the alternative? I don't, you, don't, you don't have any creative players other than Pogba and Mata. That's, that's really me, it. For me, it starts with, this is Crystal Palace. Let's, let's, let's remember this, okay? This is Crystal Palace. They are bad. And even in this game, Crystal Palace were bad. So for the context of this game, I start Juan Mata, and you probably win this game. That's, that's because they had no one to just play a through ball. Jesse Lingard is a negative football player. Like, <laughs> and I don't mean negative as in he's a, he has a bad attitude. He's a negative on the pitch. Well, I mean, I don't want to spend too much time talking about the team that's going to come in like seventh. I'm not sure why we're talking about United so much. but um, Yeah, because we spent a lot of time talking about the one that's going to come sixth. Okay, oh, hey, whatever. <laughs> Chelsea. Yes, yes. This was a good game. First twenty minutes, bro. Unreal, man. I mean, you could tell from from both teams' opening couple of games that this one was going to be a cracker because neither of them can defend, and they both just want to attack. And it, it was it was wonderful stuff. And I'm, I'm glad uh, Abby Abraham got off the mark. I wanted Norris to win this game so bad, only not because of the Chelsea thing, but they. Played football, man. They passed it around. They Pookie is insane. Like he just seems to be doing the right thing all the time. Um, what's that? Whatever, Granwell, Granwell, whatever the other players call him. But that that guy, he looks phenomenal to just what they do as a team. And I honestly thought that they just ran out of steam. They just got so tired in the second half, and you could see it. Just that they didn't have the energy in their legs anymore to keep up with Chelsea. 
and Tammy Abraham obviously coming up with a goal out of nowhere. But this game, I don't think Norris deserves to lose. They played just so well. Uh, also, I'm it's it's really show it's really telling. Chelsea's that, this transfer ban is bad, okay? Because their defense, we're gonna say it every week, is horrendous. If they weren't bailed out by, in my opinion, Tim Krul poor goalkeeping for Tammy Abraham's uh, goal, you have a draw in this game and another. I don't know how many goals Chelsea have conceded this season, but it seems like it's it's way too many, even for this stage of the season. And it's not, you know, it's not for good reading. And I don't see how it gets better. A, because you can't find anyone. And B, Zuma. Zuma is the, uh, oh, wow, I'm going to see a black Chris Smalling. Chris Smalling is half black. He is the French Chris Smalling. <laughs> um, Zuma like counts it. his steps. I don't know if you guys have seen this. Just the way Chris Smalling does before he passes. The ball. He counts yeah. his steps. I cannot believe this is still the, happening. The game, the game doesn't come natural to Chris Smalling. Like he's thinking about it. Um, exactly. But I thought again. I thought like Chelsea, they will struggle this season again because of depth. They don't have enough good players. But my question to you is: Is Mason Mount it? I think it's too early, too early for, for it, especially because I know that when you say it, you basically mean like, is he going to be messy levels and anything else isn't good enough for you and you get disappointed by it. So I'm going to say no, if it's, if it's that kind of it, but in general, like, is he good enough to be a Chelsea, like a, a top quality starting Chelsea player in the Premier League? Yeah, I think so. I think I, he's, he's already a mile, a mile better than Ross Barkley, like, and a lot of sheep. Like he's a better footballer than those guys. Alex, firstly, you really hate Barkley, so we can't take you seriously. Secondly, Loftus is given... horrendous. Well, Loftus is a good football player. I don't know what you're talking about. And also, Loftus. let's be real. There's a there's a football player who was very young and scored 13 goals and did really well for my team, and then all of a sudden he turned 27 like in the blink of an eye and was completely shit in Jesse Lingard. So I don't want to hear anything. Any young mm-hmm. player, here's what we're going to do from now on. You give me two seasons, and then I'll say whatever you want, because I've been burned, and I'm tired of it, okay? Bernie, Bernie, is this Ross Barkley thing defending because he's half Nigerian? I didn't defend him. I defended Loftus-Cheek. <laughs> oh. I would oh. never defend that guy. Oh, okay. I thought you were defending Ross Barkley. I was a bit weird there for a second. Um, no. No, never. I, 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 this, this is a result that Chelsea, I don't think, deserve, and I feel that there will be more of that this season. And I think they will just struggle. I think them and United start out of the top six, uh, just from just from the squads and, and what it looks like, followed by Spurs, I think. Yeah, I, 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 I see no reason to disagree. Yeah. Wait, so Mohamed, are you calling third for Arsenal? Uh, no, no, I'm calling fourth for Arsenal. But then, so Spurs are going to finish third? Well, well Arsenal don't do things logically. Okay, I'm just saying, like, you just said that United and Chelsea are going to struggle most, followed by Spurs, so... Yeah, yeah. I understand the breakdown of logic. <laughs> I, I get it. I'm just saying I don't have enough faith in Arsenal to, to go third, even though I don't think there's anyone <laughs> better than them. But they're still not going to finish third. Yeah, I agree with you. All right, so I think that will do it for the Premier League. Let's turn our attention now to Spain, where the the big three had different fortunes. Atletico Madrid, despite having signed a bunch of creative talent and changed their team almost completely, are still just winning games 1-0, which is very funny. But we're going to move on from that quickly this week. And let's start with Barcelona 5, Real Betis 2. No Messi, no Suarez, uh, some kids on the pitch, and Barcelona are 1-0 down. And at that point, Mohamed, what did you say? Uh, What did I say about what? I can't remember. Batista won a lot and you realized Messi wasn't playing and you said something to the effect of game over. Oh, yeah, yeah for sure. I was like, I was like, it's over. They can't do anything about Messi. They're useless. And, and uh, Fakir was like a world-class talent compared to everybody else on the Barcelona side. And then a few minutes later, we just got another message. Griezmann stepped <laughs> up, eh? <laughs> <laughs> Bro, that was like in the second half. That was like, like years later. <laughs> No, his first goal was 41 minutes and the next one was 50. Yeah, I guess it, it was a bit of a wait. I mean, my favorite thing about this game is that Real Betis have a player who scored called Moron or Moron. But 
that's that's wonderful stuff. You say it like Alex you pronounce it. Country. <laughs> yes. They <laughs> <laughs> uh, they they uh, there was a lot of players like there was this young kid called Felix or something. Perez. Or someone. Um, that was playing Perez, and there was a 16-year-old that came on and debutized at the very end. He was like the youngest um, debut age in Barcelona history since like the 60s. Blah, blah, blah. Another boring performance, man. Like no racket Obviously, people are starting to realize that he's you know fraud. Um, so he's no, not no. playing. Alex, <laughs> <laughs> leave it, leave it, leave it, leave it. <laughs> I, I just want to turn Mohamed into a drinking game. <laughs> Every time he Mohamed really is a great drink. Get in the bus with 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 uh, Kevin De Bruyne. Get in. <laughs> uh, Amazing agenda. Um, interesting little points. Artur can't get into the side. Some people are joking that's because he said messy uh, statements on corruption or you know anti football or whatever. Uh, I found that interesting. And um, even though it wasn't really true, uh, Matteo Messi, Lionel Messi's son allegedly celebrating the Betis goal, which apparently is not true, was really funny <laughs> for, yeah. for a second. <laughs> it's a very cute video. Well, if you he, haven't seen it, it's he, very cute. He's a very outspoken, like known Madrid fan. Like it's not a it's not mm-hmm. a thing. Like he's actually a Madrid fan. Like like he like Messi himself in interview said, yeah, like when we lose he'll like be super happy and like tell me about it. Like he said when they lost four 0 to Liverpool, he was just like we would not let Messi forget about it. Like he, he's a he's a hardcore Madrid fan. Uh, See, I kind of like, like as much as I'm going to force my child to support my team and he's not going to have a choice, it's kind of fun to have a troll of a son, I feel like. I feel like that has to be kind of fun. <laughs> it's very it's very funny. He's got an absolute bantosaur as a child. It's great stuff. What I, what I want to see is I want to see, uh, what I want to see is I want to see uh, Mateo become like a big football player for Real Madrid and Messi being at the Bernabeu like unfortunately has to cheer him on. That would be wonderful. Honestly, I think he might go missing first before that ever happens. <laughs> Perez has probably tried to sign him already, let's be honest. Speaking well, of which... Well, I mean, I mean when, when Mateo, as a footballer, says that he wants to emulate um, the best players to ever run on that pitch, he's talking about his dad, right? I mean, Fair with enough. any luck. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Messi's probably the best player to ever play, to, uh, to ever perform at the Bernabeu. Want it, want it, want it, want it, want it. Shut the hell up. We don't want to hear this. Bro, even Mario Balotelli. <laughs> even Mario Balotelli. No, no, no. Even Mario no, Balotelli no, said Messi no. has two stages. I said no. We're not doing this again. Mohamed has five agendas, okay? Four of those agendas are completely negative, and this other agenda is he's going to make our lives brutal by every day telling us how good we already know he's the best but we have to know it on Mohamed's level I can't take it anymore I'm done. I just I'm I just done. don't think you appreciate it like I do shut the hell up with you <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so Messi anyways no more no. Messi oh my god okay you know you know who could have used Messi this weekend is Real Madrid because they couldn't beat yes. Real Valladolid, which is pathetic. I love you, Alan. Um, but Bale started again. Uh, Zidane continuing his massive, embarrassing climb down over a player he tried to push out of the club, which just honestly gets funnier every week. Um, but yeah, Benzema scored in, 80, on the, in the 82nd minute and Madrid must have thought they'd finally won it and then they conceded in, in the 88th. Hilarious. Wait, just, sorry, just Alex. Hate not, to see not, it. To, not to cut you off here, but unless I'm reading this wrong from Footy Room, this has made all the better. So let's go here. There was a climb down from Zidane. Dale Hamas played as well. That's another climb down. But then <laughs> you had to concede an 89th minute goal to a guy by the name of Guardiola. Poetic, isn't it? <laughs> oh my God, it is too. Guardiola Navarro. Wow. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it so much. That is top narrative stuff. Is it related? Oh. Let's see. Okay. Something to look out for. Yeah, that, that's your oh, homework. Look. That's your homework. Go go away and find out if Guardiola Navarro is, is related. Anyway, I think, I think is, we should... looks just like his mom, not his dad. So. Oh God. Uh, all right. I, I zoned out there for a second and all I heard was like mom and dad. Uh, well, yeah. you, you, you go uh, and talk to them on, on your family group chat 
Bernie, um, you go and do what you need to do and we will leave it there for this week and be back again next week. All that's left to say is uh, uh, I will remind you once more about our football trivia night in downtown Toronto on September the 11th at Opera Bob's. It's honestly a wonderful time. You will enjoy it. And if you don't, you can shout at us in person. So, you know, after, that's fun too. After you stayed, after you stayed. Yeah, 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 yeah obviously. <laughs> and, and you have to pay in advance, so. Yeah, before the Southie Southie. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Talk to you soon. Thank you for downloading the Koshcast. Get in touch at underthekoshblog at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at under underscore the kosh. And for articles, predictions, and the full experience, go to underthekoshblog.com. Thank you.